Infirmary Media. Start. Poop culture. Yeah, yeah, poop culture. Poop, 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 poop culture. Yeah, it's the poop culture. Poop, poop culture. People engage in stop for jeweling decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Jeweling decades. Who your popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet in sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Broadcasting from the Bio Bidet Studios, where water does it better. Greetings, Retro Warriors, and welcome to another episode of Dueling Decades, right here on Poop Culture, the retro game show where we totally gag you with a spoon and give you the 411 at the same time as we make the 80s and 90s fight it out over these two dope decades. Let's take a look at the teams and the decades they will be fighting for. Representing January of 1991. They lost last week, so this week they got a brand new name. Good evening, I'm Bo Beecraft, and uh, playing alongside me tonight is Mike Ranger of the Video Rangers podcast. Uh, we are simply known this week as Whole Foods without the W. <laughs> Interesting. And along with myself, representing January of 1982. That's right. I'm Rick Mancrush, and we are the Mama Lukes, January 1982. Let's do this. As always, here on Dueling Decades, we need someone to keep us all in check. Ladies and gentlemen, please rise. It's the Honorable Judge John Cross. Yes, everyone, please rise. Be erect, because uh, although it is as cold as a witch's tit, I'm going to be judging all of you like a mad hot bastard. I'm <laughs> Judge John Cross. Go Leafs! <laughs> All right, the rules of our game are quite simple. A coin flip will decide which team goes first. The winning team will decide the topic of each round out of the five dueling decades categories, those being movies, television, music, news, and, of course, hot products. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. The judge's ruling will be final and determine who wins each round and the winning team will have the highest overall score after all five rounds. Gentlemen, let's play some Dueling Decades. Coin toss. All right. All right. So today's coin, uh, for the purpose of tossing it about and seeing who goes first, is this lobster-shaped dog toy. I don't know why, <laughs> but it just seemed like something I wanted to wave around on screen uh, yes, this lobster-shaped dog toy. So, uh, do you want to have belly, or do you want to have goggly oh, eyes? Oh, man. I ask myself uh, that same thing all the time. Loser's call. Whole Foods, pick one. Ooh. Belly? Belly. All right, let's see if you're going to go belly up, <laughs> or if you're going to go belly up. Belly crystal. If you see what I mean. Let's see. Oh, oh here we go. It's exciting. <laughs> it's belly up. You've won the toss. Oh, oh. They won the toss-off again. Is it salad? <laughs> <laughs> it might as well be. All right. 90s team, where do you guys want to start off this week? I'll defer to Mike. I started off last time. All right. I'm going to go with news. On January 17, 1991, Operation Desert Storm began with a massive airstrike targeted at Iraq's military forces and infrastructure. 
The conflict initially started after Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, accusing Kuwait of overproducing oil, costing Iraq, Iraq an estimated $14 billion. The goal of Operation Desert Storm was to force the withdrawal of Iraqi forces and restore Kuwait's government. The combat phase, led by Storm and Norman on the ground and President George Bush on television, lasted 43 days, ending in victory for the United States, and received unprecedented television coverage. Now, the history books may tell you that it started over some oil, but I know a guy who says Saddam was clearly upset after the Noid failed to believe bring his Domino's pizza in 30 minutes. <laughs> I knew there had to be more to it than that, man. <laughs> Fucking no Noid. Ruins everything. It's a good job that they didn't name it Dessert Storm, and then we would have had to have just fought them off with, like, upside-down cake or bunt or something. <laughs> Pudding. Pudding, you see. <laughs> Bill Cosby's the at the front lines. <laughs> is brought to you by... Yes, great, because on MLK Day, let's bring up Bill Cosby, the most popular <laughs> of African-American icons. <laughs> He's flinging pudding it and has curry. Come over here and take a look at my snack pack. <laughs> <laughs> and then let me have a bite of yours. All right. All right. And the other news story. So insensitive. <laughs> Serial killer Eileen Warnos confesses to the murders of six men after being arrested for outstanding warrants on January 9th, 1991. A bulk of her stuff happened as far as like the sentencing and arraignment and all that stuff happened in January 91. January 16th, she confessed to all six murders. Uh, obviously, this spawned the movie Monster, starring Charlize Theron, which uh, chronicled the story of her from childhood to pretty much her uh, murderous years in the trial and all that stuff. That was released in 03, earned her an Academy Award for Best Actress, uh, but it all stemmed from the woman herself, eyebrowless Eileen Wernos. Man, did wow. they make her hideous for that movie. I have uh, never seen a woman so attractive look so hideous. God. I think that was kind of the point. Yeah. So was was I the only one who thought she was hotter like that then? <laughs> <laughs> she looked more attainable. It's a fetish. And what's yeah. crazy is as bad as they made Charlize Theron look in that movie, she still looks better than the real life. Arlene Warlos or whatever the hell her name was. <laughs> that was the name of my bus driver. I'm talking about Eileen Wernos. Oh, her. Oh, okay. Oh, it's a huge was... news story. How could you possibly get that name messed up? And just to clarify, uh, Whole Foods, the, the news story is this was the day that she was caught or admitted to doing it? Or what was the... No, this is just one of the days she blew the guy in the car. Oh, okay. <laughs> No, she was uh, she was arrested on January 9th, but I'm I'm going with January 16th. She confessed to all six murders. Confesses, all right, gotcha. great. Yeah, that's a little more of a significant date when she confesses. Yeah, I'm just so. I'm making. You see, I make notes uh, as a judge so that I uh, I know when we <laughs> come his final to the sentencing. End of yeah, my final sentencing. Yeah, making notes. That's all. Figuring it out. Mark, do you want to start this one off? Sure, man crush. I'll start that off, and uh, we're gonna go over to the Des Moines Register, who has an article who talks about Mr. Mark Neal. When he was 17 years old, him and his younger brother decided they needed a family pet, so his younger brother brings home a live bat. Well, that lasted about two weeks until the bat died. So, you know, Mark Neal's friends all convinced him to take the bat carcass, put it inside of a baggie, and sneak it inside of his coat. 
as they proceeded on the night of January 20th, 1982, to go see the Prince of Darkness himself, Mr. Ozzy Osbourne, in Des Moines, Iowa, with about 5,000 other fans. And of course, at this point, everybody knows the story. Neil tosses the dead bat on the stage, where Ozzy picks up the bat and bites the head off, as he always did in his act, but with rubber bats or with props, even once he even did with a live dove. Uh, but did not know that this was a bat that was once alive and was now deceased. Immediately being rushed to the hospital, Ozzy received medical attention and shots for rabies. <laughs> Rolling Stone magazine ranked this in 2004 as the number two all-time rock's wildest miss. And Ozzy Osbourne himself in 2001 lamented that he will be plagued until his death with questions about this bat. How did it taste, Ozzy? Why did you do it, Ozzy? And then he says, and then they will dig me up and ask me again. Pretty he much. should have been dug up at least 10 times by now. He should have yeah. been. <laughs> it's miraculous that that man is still alive. <laughs> January 20th, 1982, one of the most infamous days in Ozzy Osbourne's great career. Jesus. Maybe he's had it correct the whole time. You're just supposed to do, do yeah. like copious amounts of drugs. And uh, bite the heads off of live animals, like bats. <laughs> and only be clear with your diction when you're singing, not speaking. <laughs> yes, right. that is amazing. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say this was voted by Rolling Stone number two in the stupidest moments in rock and roll history. <laughs> what was number one? I'm curious. <laughs> the article doesn't say because oh, it, it's only fuck? about Ozzy. So. <laughs> Probably Aussie urinating on the Alamo. That was pretty. That was pretty stupid as well. I was looking for the basement. <laughs> <laughs> My bike is in the basement. I just wanted some cheese and onions. <laughs> All right, so uh, my story comes out of the way of Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania, where all good things happen. So what began as a simple ninth grade prank to fool his friends turns into something much more important in the grand scheme of things. Around early January 1982, then high school student Richard Skrenta developed the elk cloner virus. And you are probably asking yourself, well, why are you even telling me this? Well, <laughs> when it was found in late January 1982, it had the distinction of being the first home computer virus to be found in the wild. So this is the first virus ever. And if you really look at a definition of a virus... This one attached to the bootloader, which hadn't been done before. There was another virus prior to that in, I think, 71. But this is the first one that really spread. It uh, went as far as, I believe it was uh, Baltimore, Maryland, where it infected a computer belonging to Scrent's cousin who was in the U.S. Navy. So it actually spread pretty far. And what this thing would do is every 50th time you booted, and this was on an Apple II, where you had to boot off of a disk. You would just get this little screen that would pop up, and it had a poem, and that poem read, Elk Cloner, the program with personality. It will get on all of your disks. It will infiltrate your chips. Yes, it's cloner. It will stick to you like glue. It will modify RAM, too. Send in the cloner. And that popped up every 50th time you booted. And again, first time ever a virus is find, found in the wild, January 1982. But but did this Screnta guy ever actually clone an elk? <laughs> he might have now. It died of dysentery. Yeah. 
And then it was thrown on stage at an Aussie concert where he tried <laughs> yeah, right. to bite the head off the elk. This yeah. isn't a bat. <laughs> you want me to get the whole elk's head in my mouth? <laughs> That's a big-ass thing to throw on a stage. Sharon, she wants me to put an elk's head in my mouth. <laughs> Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> Tastes like a stamp, Sharon. <laughs> get Jack in here and I'll ram it up his ass. <laughs> Anyhow, that's what, that's what I had there. All right. Over to John Cross for the ruling. Well, look at this. Look at this cacophony of interesting news stories. Um, uh, just fascinating. Obviously, we have Desert Storm uh, and uh, serial killing uh, confessing uh, in 1991. Uh, they, that seems pretty huge to me, Desert Storm, which, although... We say, oh, yeah, the Americans won it and da-da-da-da-da. It's still sort of going on now. Like, it never really finished. Um, they certainly never brought troops home in the traditional way. Um, it would be like if there were still uh, troops out in Vietnam somehow fighting the Viet Cong even now. That's kind of what the whole Desert Storm thing became. Eileen um, Wurrus, uh, again, uh, famous enough to spawn a movie uh, in which, uh, as you said quite rightly, a... Uh, a classic beauty became even more attractive um, by uh, <laughs> putting on a bad wig and uh, g giving a bit of the old Irish complexion, um, which uh, I have to say turns me on every time. Um, and then in 1982, uh, we've got the iconic rock moment of biting the head off a bat. And uh, this complete and utter fucking asshole, Richard Screnter, creating a computer virus. Why would you do that? Why would you want to be the person to ruin everybody's fun and computers from now on? Because once you've done it, everyone else starts doing it. They're like, well, if he wants to clone an elk, I'm going to clone all these other badgers and this this whelk or something else that's lying around or this scallop or something. Like Everyone's <laughs> going to just start cloning everything and ruining everyone's computers. But where do they stand nowadays in terms of monumental news stories? Hmm. You'd have to, you know, in terms of having legs, the Ozzy Osbourne story has legs and the Desert Storm story has legs. The computer virus thing kind of has legs as well, obviously, because there are still computer viruses, but I'm not sure that Richard Screnter is still well known. Um, but I think I'm going to have to give it to 1991 Whole Foods wins just for the fact that Desert Storm never really finished is still going on and is essentially affected all our lives since so by that you wouldn't say that computer viruses have affected our lives since then <laughs> and no no listen i said it's not that it's not substantial it's just that if you think of like the impact of something like a 9-11 right uh and even though obviously it then became an afghanistan thing and etc cetera, etc cetera, initially they went out, they still went after Iraq. Like they still went after Saddam. They still like it was still that thing, that vendetta, that Bush versus Saddam oil thing was still going on and still affecting us and affecting our security and our, our country and the way things are still being done today, right? With the wall and everything. Like it's 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 kind of it's it's the one conflict. It's like Vietnam was in for the sixties and seventies. It's it's the one conflict that has permeated every corner of society. It's round one. I won't push it that much. <laughs> and we got hot shots part two. 
this this is the new modern era of warfare. It, computer viruses, right for example, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, they might have toppled a com- uh, company. They might have. A f- what 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 are all Democrats think happened to the election? <sighs> yeah, but that wasn't a computer virus so much as it was just. You know, that, endless, and yeah, endless it's more hacking and of, stuff. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, impersonators and hackers and social media users and influencers and idiots who believed them. Anyway, but let's move yeah. on. Let's move. It's just you know round what, one. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll give a plus. Alien Warus Sarah. No, I no, I get, I get you, I get you. It's a, it's a long-standing conflict that's just right. never ending. And although the Ozzy Osbourne yeah, backstory is like fun and and is great kind of rock mythology, it doesn't really it does, didn't affect anyone other than Ozzy, you know what I mean? And it didn't it it, it doesn't hold the weight. Yeah. Yeah. Made maybe, him immortal. But you know what I mean? If if he starts hovering outside my window like the child out of Salem's He's lot, then maybe the that's worth life. it. But <laughs> All right, Whole Foods in 1991, you guys have control of the board. Where are we going? Unbelievable. Mike, where you want to take a little jaunt to, buddy? Well, I think uh, we should go to music, because that's horrible. All right, <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> oh, shit. I'll kick this one off, then. Please do. Uh, music, released January 29th, 1991, Doubt, which is the second album from Jesus Jones. Oh, uh, The album God. itself reached number 25 <laughs> on the Billboard 200 chart. It also contained the single Right Here, Right Now, which performed uh, very well in the U.S., actually. That's right. Reaching number one on the U.S. alternative chart, number two on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, number seven on the U.S. Mainstream Rock Yard. Also, did I say Rock Yard? Mainstream Rock Chart and uh, scoring number 17 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 year-end chart. Kind of a juggernaut, that song. (laughs) That's the first time Jesus Jones and Juggernaut have ever been said together. <laughs> That's the name of their uh, reunion tour next year. I believe that was the name of his third album. All right, Mike Ranger. Mike's got a mixtape or a compilation or something. I can just see it in his <laughs> eyes. <laughs> it's a remix album. Makeout Jams Volume 4. <laughs> it's a rarities album from LL Cool J. We're not that lucky. No, what I chose was a performance, because on January 27th, 1991, Super Bowl 25 had little to celebrate. The gloom of the Gulf War hung over the heads of many Americans, and the fear of attack on this American tradition grounded the Goodyear blimp and nearly forced the game to be rescheduled. Despite the chaos surrounding the event, a young Whitney Houston stepped on the 50-yard line and gave us one of the most famous moments of her career. The diva brought a worried nation together and si- with simply a song, and troops across the globe tuned in as, as if the performance was solely for them. Reporters later asked Miss Houston what she planned to do next. She Crack. replied, I'd like to take a long, hot bath. <laughs> That's uh, code for drugs. <laughs> oh, shit. I'd wow. like to take a long, hot shit. <laughs> which is code for right. bobby brown that's her prerogative you know of course <laughs> i think i'll go soak for a while in the tub well may may i may i just ask may i just ask though would that not count as a uh significant tv moment and not a significant it might music moment? but it might. um i would give i would give him that it, it would might i would look i looked at it both ways because she ended up uh like having to record that and like oh, issue okay. it as like a song right it, it was released as a single and it was on the yeah. charts if, which was kind of weird for if, a national if anthem, long-standing but, auditors yeah. of the rules uh mark and rick allow it then i will allow it yeah i think there's a lot of things you can use in you know 
different categories. Is there a precedent for someone using a live performance in the music uh, category? Uh, I don't. I think this might be the first one. Well, look at that. There we go. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Man, were they really that bad album-wise? Dude, it's fucking a- horrible. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. atrocious. I, I was looking up, like, what was the number one video on MTV that week? You well, know, I like- mean, if I, if I let you know that some, some of the other TRL. choices they could have had were This Year's Girl by Pizzicato 5, that famous, yeah, exactly. Ooh. <laughs> uh, Fly Me Courageous by Driving Uncrying. Ooh, yeah, that's rocking too. What I like about Courageous. that is that it's driving. Yeah, they haven't even put like they haven't put the G on that word. They don't put the G on crying, and they don't even spell out and. It's just driving and crying. Which <laughs> yeah, is, but that's uh, genius. It is Cutting genius. out those typo. letters. Yeah, that saved them an extra six bucks it, in font it, fees. No, completely. <laughs> Um, you could have gone for the specials singles collection. That's a pretty uh, uh, that's a pretty tight album. It does not sound tight at all. It, I, listen, I like the specials. Don't even come at the specials. I'm, oh, oh, I thought it was a specials single collection. No, no, no. Like the a, specials. a collection of singles for specials. No, no. Oh, a collection of <laughs> special singles by special people. <laughs> 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 oh dare we laugh okay back in 1991 that would have just been called best of the retards and we would have had done with it so, <laughs> uh you have step in the arena by gang star um yeah uh native son by judy bats um that really Ooh, was oh god what a classic yeah, what a classic i mean <laughs> really, that on vinyl i'm looking i'm looking down the list and you're right really there's there's very little whatsoever party mix in mesopotamia uh, a reissue with remixes by the b52s um, there was no jock jams <laughs> no no jock jams um wow yeah no gloria estefan put out into the light but that's about it which you know was I was close yeah. with that one, but no, yeah, you're right. January 1991 should be stricken from the musical register forever because it's yeah, it's it's, it's a terrible. it's a pile of shite, as they would say in my native. It's country. embarrassment, Christ. All right, you want me to start music off here on this one, Man Crush? Uh, whatever. Yeah, okay. All right, this, this doesn't sound like it's gonna be tough. All right, so January 29th, 1982. Picture this. The second album by the sounds of the 1980s, Huey Lewis and the News, is released. The album Mm. brought the band their very first (laughs) top 10 hit, Do You Believe in Love, which remained on the Billboard charts for 35 weeks and peaked at number seven. Picture This also gave us the follow-up hits, Hope You Love Me Like You Say You Do, and my favorite cut from that album, Working for a Living. January 29th, 1982, Huey Lewis and the News. Solid. And now weather. I've heard of him. <laughs> All right. Uh, I got released on January 19th, 1982 by Epitaph Records. It was the first full-length album by legendary punk band Bad Religion. Uh, the name of the album, How Could Hell Be Any Worst? Uh, the most notable song in the album is probably We're Only Gonna Die. I mean, if, if you guys are Sublime fans, it was on 40 Ounces of Freedom, which released in 92, which probably would have been a better album than both the ones you guys picked. Uh, this is actually pretty cool. They originally only pressed 6,000 copies of this album, but it, it sold more than that, up to 12,000 after the first year. But this is the really fucking cool part of this. Not only did they personally stuff all the albums by hand, 
but to relieve the boredom of stuffing the albums, they sometimes slipped little notes in the sleeve or autographed some of the copies. And you were asking yourself, why were these guys stuffing albums? Well, it just so happens that they started Epitaph Records for this album. Uh, if you know anything about punk music, Epitaph is probably one of the biggest independent names in punk music. Uh, over the years, they've had Green Day, Weezer, Offspring, Rancid, the Circle Jerks, No Effects, Pennywise. The list goes on and on of who they had on that label. But Epitaph all started because of How Could Hell Be Any Worse? And it was the debut album of Bad Religion. Wow. Nice pick. Double, it's double whammy. Yeah. Punk music's not a genre I know a ton about, so I'm glad I got you on my side to back us up on that one. But I, I also feel, though, that we completely missed uh, a fantastic opportunity. If you remember, when we were talking about 1991, I mentioned that Mesopotamia by the B-52s was re-released that January. Uh, a weird uh, nine-year-later re-release because it was also originally released in January of 1982, Mesopotamia by the B-52s. So you could have had the same album fighting against each, uh, <laughs> itself. Uh, sadly, we missed that opportunity. Uh, so really, Thank God. Uh, nobody wins. Or everybody. Or we yeah, all we win. all win because nobody picked the B-52s. <laughs> Uh, other albums, Tin Roof Rusted. Other, other albums you could have had from 1982, January of 1982, was Wasn't Tomorrow Wonderful by The Waitresses. I think the resounding answer to that was no. Oh. Uh, <laughs> All for a Song by Barbara Dickinson. Uh, Mystical Adventures by Jean Luc Ponty. Uh, one of my Ooh, favorite Jean Lucs uh, in, yeah. in I love Jean Luc Ponty. His work on Frank Zappa's apostrophe is phenomenal. One of the best violin players I've ever heard. I almost picked that album. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, Somewhere Over China <laughs> by right. Jimmy Buffett. That was his, uh, that was his controversial <laughs> communist album, uh, which in 1982 really got Jimmy Buffett into some uh, <laughs> hot, hot uh, situation. So therefore he had to kind of go back to his usual twangy, annoying cocktail-based ditties. Um, <laughs> oh, so this was way before he got into the gangster rap. Yeah, scene, no, right? definitely, definitely. But uh, ju oh, just, okay. just, just before he got into the uh, um, punk clog dancing. <laughs> oh, I yes, that was like four months before he got into the throat singing thing. Yes. Yeah, okay. I know right where you're. You talking You guys need about. to stop because you're really gonna convince somebody. Otherwise, <laughs> it's really I still prefer his uh, folka work. His folk polka. It was okay. Polka, but... that's one of my favorites. <laughs> His work with Jimmy Stir. <laughs> it's 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 also what it sounds like when like <laughs> a Scottishman is about to do something sexual. I'm gonna fork her and a polka. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> uh, it goes to 1982. Next, <laughs> <laughs> 1982 wins because Huey Lewis and the News is my sweet spot. That's where I live. I also like to kill hookers with axes. <laughs> Who doesn't? Don't just stare at it. Eat it. <laughs> All right, Man Crush, pick our next category. Where do you want to go, man? Mm, this is the last single point round. Let's go with television. How's that? Sounds great. You want to lead off with yours? Sure. January 10th, 1982. We're going to talk about the NFC Championship game played between the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers at Candlestick Park. 
with 58 seconds left in the game and the 49ers facing a third and three San Francisco tight end Dwight Clark made a leaping grab at the back of the end zone completing a six-yard touchdown from quarterback Joe Montana enabling the 49ers to defeat the Dallas Cowboys 28 to 27. This catch, or as it is known throughout history as the catch, is the most memorable and replayed event in National Football League history. The highlight's been played almost every broadcast since. The game represented the end of the Cowboys' domination in the NFC Conference since its inception in the the 1970s and began the dynasty of the 49ers that would go throughout the 1980s. So the catch. I believe that's uh, the catch. The catch. It's a little bit better than the catch. It depends what part of the country you're from. I'm not a 49ers fan, so it's the catch. <laughs> True. So that's what we got. January 10th, 1982. What's the catch? Sorry. <laughs> the catch was when <laughs> Dwight Clark leaped in the back of the end zone. Football made this boring. Incredible <laughs> no, no way you haven't seen the highlight. No, he's he's fucking with you, Mark. But let me just throw this out there: that uh, as far as dynasties go, if you think about it, <laughs> that was probably the most likable of all the dynasties over the past thirty years. Yeah, like I think most people, I Joe I Montana, and Jerry sitcom. Rice, and all those guys, they liked those guys. They were a likable bunch. I don't know if they really were, but it, it appeared so. And then you know, the '90s, you had the Cowboys came back. And then you got the Patriots for the past fucking 80 years. So, yeah. so this is uh that was really a likable dynasty, but the, the catch. All right. Uh, I'm going to read this one to Batman here. So on January 1st, 1982, <laughs> Ted Turner decided to listen to the general public for once who were complaining about certain aspects of his new CNN cable network, which is less than two years old at the time. Watchers of CNN generally felt that they needed to wait too long for a specific story to come on. Just as an example, it wouldn't be uncommon for you to turn on CNN and catch maybe like a half hour of Polish translated news before they would get on to more relevant news. So that would piss a lot of people off. So in spite of all the extra time waiting, CNN decided to take a page out of all news radio and develop a new channel called CNN two uh, as known now as headline news. Of course, this new CNN two would be patterned in updated 30 minute news segments throughout the day. So within a few short years, Ted Turner shifted the way news were digested for TV watchers. If you think about this, so like two to three years before this, when this didn't exist, all news came from three networks. It was either ABC, NBC, or CBS. And those news programs were basically scattered over like three or four times per day. So you were never seeing new news. So by creating a network like CNN2, people can get updated news whenever they turned on the television. And they split it up where it was uh, like seven minutes of major national, major national and international news. Then they would have less important or soft news followed by like sports and then concluded in weather. So this is like a pretty big deal. What about the people who wanted the Polish translated news? Then they can just continue to watch CNN. But what's happened to that now? <laughs> I don't know. It's probably PNN, Polish News Network. Right. You can just change your TV so it reads it to you in Polish. You can? It's not the same, though, is it? No, probably not. No, but that, I mean, it, really, if you think about what he did over the course of those couple of years, that just completely 
changed yeah. oh, and absolutely. revolutionized how news is driven. Totally ruined the news. Yeah, well, it gave birth yeah. to what we have now in the news culture we have in this country, where news isn't just news anymore. It's a form of entertainment. Yeah, it's massively right. awful. Right. In every this was regard. really the start of that. I was watching. It was so funny. I was on the plane coming back from San Francisco the other day, and the woman in front of me on the chair had uh, CNN on like for hours on the way home. And breaking news was up in the banner at the bottom half of the of the screen of CNN for about two and a half hours straight. I'm like, you can't be breaking news for two and a half hours straight. It's just, it's just not possible. Just stop it. Barry the kangaroo is giving birth. Yeah, right. <laughs> to a human. It's a snake. All right. So what do you guys have for news? Or TV? Oh, we got rather. some great TV. stuff. TV. TV. Yeah, don't just do news. Let's do TV. You got this, Mike? Sure, I can take this one. On January 3rd, 1991... Blossom debuted on NBC as a mid-season replacement. The series consisted of a family abandoned by their mother and focused on the life of main character Blossom, along with her friend Six, a musician father, brother Joey, played by Joey Lawrence, and older brother Tony, a recovering addict, later turned paramedic, giving him ample access to needles. The series is one of the many sitcoms, to feature a single father like Full House, Who's the Boss, Different Strokes, and The Andy Griffith Show, the show ran for five seasons and 114 episodes. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, great pick, Mike. I loved Blossom. I, I'm not afraid to it. Oh, who, who didn't? Man. Who didn't? That opening sequence when she's just dancing around doing yeah. nothing? It was such a great <laughs> show. It really was. And, and now yep. Joey's on uh, Celebrity Big Brother, which starts tonight. Is he on that? Wow. He is. And, and if you have a thing Huge for celebrity. nasal intercourse like I do, you know, Blossom is really up there in the top five nasal <laughs> female icons, really. And, I mean, Genevon always stole that show. I mean, we all know that. Yeah. She always yeah. wore great hats. Yeah. Great hats. <laughs> great hats. She really had a great haberdasher. Yeah, real yeah, signature lo- of the show. Lovely cozy hats. You know? Yeah, depending on the day and you know yeah, season. In the ninety, in the early nineties, it was always a constant battle of who had nicer hats, blossom or for non blondes. And it, you know, week to week, you know, who knows? <laughs> right. And if Blossom had joined four non blondes, would they have oh. had a monopoly on hats? <laughs> they they were three non blondes until uh, <laughs> Blossom. <laughs> They're like, we're just missing that intangible. What do we do? We need somebody with a big nose. I know. Let's get a girl with a name we can't well, pronounce. Say, isn't the actress who played Blossom related to the character Max Bialystok from The Producers? Isn't that her name? Like, <laughs> isn't her name like Max Bialystok? What's her name? <laughs> Maya Bialik or something? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's totally. I couldn't different. pronounce it. I didn't want to write it. That down. sounds like a like technical name for a, a over the counter <laughs> <Right>? drug. <laughs> it may cause seizures. <laughs> Do not take my Bialik if we're already taking it. May cause swelling of the groin and purpling of the head and neck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Blossom, that's a pretty solid pick. What do you got, Bo? Oh, man, I, there, there were a lot of decent television things happening in January 91, but I decided to go with the debut of Talk Soup on the E! Network, January 7th, 1991, hosted, of course, by the lovely Greg Kinnear. Uh, yeah, January 7th, 1991, aired until August 2002, obviously airing select clips of the previous day's daily talk shows like the Jerry Springer Show, 
uh, stuff like that. They poked fun of basically <laughs> a lot of different <laughs> talk shows. And, uh, and yeah, like Oprah, there was there were some shows that were like, don't use our shit on air. So like Oprah Winfrey, she refused to allow them to show clips on their show and, and stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, trying to show her clit on her show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no wonder she was mad. They're, they're trying to show up or waxing her bean on talk soup, and she's like, "Don't show that. <laughs> you get to touch it, and you get to touch it, and you get to touch it. <laughs> Look under your chairs." Talk soup was nominated for five daytime Emmy awards. Uh, winning once in '95 for outstanding special class program, remains the only E show to ever win an Emmy. And of course, we had the spinoff, The Soup, which aired from 2004 to 2015 with Joel McHale. There you go. Talk Soup, January 7th, 1991, debuted on E. And McHale has just stolen the format yet again for the McHale show on uh, That's right. uh, Netflix. Instead Netflix, of doing right? what he should have done and starred in a McHale's Navy remake, which would have just been much, much better. <laughs> I've been waiting for that for years. With the, with the corpse of Ernest Borgnine. Right, and you're forgetting about yeah. the other host, John Henson, which was the downfall of Talk Soup. Yeah, the puppet guy, right? <laughs> Isn't he the guy that says, uh, please have a seat? No, no, that's Chris Hansen. <laughs> oh, I don't like that. You imagine Talk Soup had a To Catch a Predator vibe? <laughs> like, he just walks in, and like he's got this little desk yeah. and a couch, and he's like, why don't you come on in and have a seat? And another hilarious thing I'm going to tell this would-be child rapist is... <laughs> that yesterday on some Jerry Springer show, and he's like, "Can I leave yet? No, have a seat. Touch Oprah's clit." <laughs> I think we're missing the obvious thing here. Why isn't there a show like Talk Soup, where instead of showing clips of talk shows, you're just introducing clips of To Catch a Predator? Right. <laughs> but they have the uh, the Bob Saget sound effects from America's Funniest Home Videos right. too, and his voiceovers. <laughs> <laughs> or a, uh, a a show called Talk Soup, which is just actors with the last name of Campbell uh, dressed up in cans interviewing each other. <laughs> that sounds like a great animated series. And that's going to be on right after America's Funniest Home Sex Tapes. Yeah. <laughs> Watch as he goes to insert and loses his footing, hitting his head on the floor. <laughs> this caused him to go to the hospital to get six stitches. <laughs> Look, dick pop! We have another dick pop! <laughs> it's been over an hour and a half, and he still hasn't been able to find the G-spot. <laughs> Look at him fumbling around in the dark like an idiot. She's already fallen asleep, <laughs> and he hasn't even noticed. Is that Oprah Winfrey? <laughs> and yet again, another video with a guy just getting hit in the nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I also want to note that uh, sitcom version of the John Lithgow vehicle, Harry and the Hendersons, aired uh, beginning January 13th, Oh, no extras. No Wait, was Lithgow in that? Was Lithgow in it? <laughs> no. This is one of those cheap uh, UPN uh, store brand oh, okay. versions. <laughs> store brand. Harold and the Hendersons. <laughs> Henry and the Haroldsons. It wasn't so much Bigfoot as it was just a very bearded gentleman with a pipe called Harold who just sat in the corner <laughs> and occasionally would go, like that when, when something funny happened. Well, it's after the end of Harry and the Hendersons where they let Harry go back in the wild. He just goes and finds another fucking family and moves in with them. It's like, right. why the fuck are you letting me go? I... And it turns out they're a bunch of child predators. 
when he gets saved by Chris Hansen. It's the Pornhub version, <laughs> Harry and the Hendersons, which is a whole other, <laughs> a whole other show altogether. Harry and the Chris Hansen. <laughs> How great would it be instead of to catch a predator with Chris Hansen walking out? Harry walks out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He says that stupid smile on his face. And he's like just like pointing to like emails and stuff that they've said to each other. And he like What is he saying? Walks, walks through a wall, forming a line. He holds up a box of Girl Scout cookies and cocks his head like Yeah, that'd be amazing. I would, I would Squirting lube everywhere. <laughs> Either that, or you get a bunch of predators to go hunt Bigfoot, and, and it's <laughs> it's Predator to catch a Bigfoot. That's the name of the show, and it's just it's all people that Chris Hansen has caught. No, the obvious yeah. name here is Harry and the Hansons. Yeah, right. And then they go off to find Bigfoot. Their punishment is to go find Bigfoot. Wow. Oh God. Where he molests them <laughs> for, for eternity. All right. <laughs> okay, we got to go to the ruling. Uh, the ruling. Well, we have. What do we have? What do we have? What do we have here? Exactly. It was so long ago when we were talking about this that I almost don't care anymore. Um, but it was <laughs> Dallas Cowboys forty nine is some sport thing. Uh, <laughs> some the some, some sport ball. A guy catched a ball during a football game. <laughs> Who ever heard of such a thing? Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> would it have been any better if he kicked a round ball into a uh, net? No, no, it would be much better if it was ice hockey and it was the Maple Leafs. That's what it oh, would be wow. much better about. All right. Well, Ty Domi does kick ass, <laughs> just for the record. Uh, Ted Turner invents uh, crap news was the second story from 1982 <laughs> uh, and forever destroys uh, the beauty of uh, factual-based uh, information spreading. Uh, and then in 1991, we have Blossom debuting, uh, some of those great hats that we talked about, and the Talk Soup debut, <laughs> which, despite sounding like a really shitty premise for a show, apparently still goes on today. So much so that Mikhail is still making a career out of it, and that Twazak, uh, uh, Tosh, whatever his name is, did a version of it about the internet. So it apparently, it just it never ends, this concept. Um, and, and so I, you know, if, if it was purely on, it is on me cause I'm the judge. The winner is 1991. Uh, wow. Blossom was so formative for our generation. Really. It taught us all about, um, unpronounceable names, uh, uh, bad hats and nostril fucking. And then, uh, <laughs> talk soup while not quite as iconic, uh, it clearly has legs cause it's still walking around today being awful now i know what rick is gonna say rick is gonna come in and say but what about the news thing that ted turner did and da, 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 da. and he's kind of right he is kind of right the news thing is no, really i'm not important. kind of i am right i'm a hundred percent right but i just i just don't want to give it to ted turner fucking the news up because fuck <laughs> ted turner. it's a, it's still around and it you have to think, just because something is culturally significant doesn't mean it's good or bad. It's just significant in a way. And if no, that's completely. negatively significant, 
that had a huge negative impact on the way that news is delivered. You know, how everything is, is dished to us, basically, where they just put shit out now to just be the first ones. Was CNN at the time like 24-hour news? Was, was that, was it already going? Yeah, so CNN started 18 months before this as 24-hour news, but it wasn't like live news. Right. It was more, they had different news things. They talk about the news, they, you know, right. just kind of like it is now, just at a smaller scale. They put this one out just to be like the ESPN news of news. And then it you know, influenced just like, all of news. The, yeah. trouble, the trouble is, though, is that I really want to give it to you. If you pick talk soup. Over something that changed how we hear news. That is just blasphemous, man. You will be attached to that forever. Bring up, I'll be like, yo, but that's a talk show. But my real problem is, is that your second news item, while incredibly relevant for football fans, possibly, it, it, it's not... Like, your Ted Turner story is huge, right? But I feel like Blossom and Talk Soup combined are just... Here, let, let me... Look. You think Ozzy biting the bat's head off is big for music, right? Or as a news story. But it big right, in but general we didn't for, give it to that. for music. But I'm just saying, like, that's like an epic music thing. And you even said that in the last round. It's something that has legs. Everybody knows it. This is a sports thing that right. everybody knows. It's right. the catch. And I'm notoriously you know, to biased towards sports things. <laughs> 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 oh, so it's gosh. really hard to, to just like dismiss it as I oh know. yeah he just caught the ball I, mean, I know. It's, like, it's a big but deal he, but he did just catch a ball uh <laughs> he, i mean he did ultimately if he hadn't we wouldn't be talking about it right now <sighs> Fuck. yeah but we have blossom Fuck Bl- her. Bl- you know my ambialic or whatever <laughs> her name is <laughs> that girl was in beaches Ky- you know catheter diabetic or whatever her name is uh, she she you know she deserves to still be mentioned even though no one does um oh, fuck i really want to give it to 91 but you're right the ted turner news thing it kind of is huge and it's kind of awful Oh, fuck, this is so difficult. All right. Sometimes awful is good in this game. Especially when it's really awful. No, I'm I'm sticking with my original decision, 1991. Sorry, guys. I'm sticking with my original decision, 1991. I'm going for it. All right. Sorry, Rick Man, Crusher, Mark James. I get it. I understand it. I'm with you, but I just can't do it. He shouldn't be a player. No, you're not with me. Otherwise, you would have given me the point. <laughs> That's fine. All right, so heading into the later rounds, give us a score update. Two to one, 90s over the 80s. Two to one. But we're going to the two-point rounds. That's right. Two-point rounds. All right, Whole Foods, you guys have control of the board yet once again. Where are you going? What do you think, Mike? Should we uh, should we go to movies or hot products? Well, it's, I think we usually save movies for last, right? It's hot products? All right, let's do hot products. I'll start off here. Oh. Uh, the hot product I have from January 1991, no specific numerical date but uh gi joe a real american hero video game for nintendo was released in january 91 players take control of a team of three gi joes each with their own specialty the goal of the game being to navigate through six stages on a mission to finally bring down cobra features missions that take part in the amazon antarctica new york city and uh the final mission ends up at cobra headquarters characters include duke snake eyes captain gridiron rock and roll blizzard and general hawk G.I. Joe, a real American hero video game for Nintendo. At first, I thought you were going to say the action figure. And then I was like, wait a minute. You have the 90s. <laughs> and he said video game. I'm not that dumb. 
Yeah, at first I thought he said action figure, and then I'm like, oh, no, then cartoon, and I'm like, no, not cartoon. Oh, the NES oh, game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, was like, <laughs> it was the third one. I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> what does Mike have? Oh, let me tell you there, Rick. In January of 1991, General Mills introduced a brand new snack for the Betty Crocker line called Fruit by the Foot a staple of any 90s kid's lunchbox and a direct descendant to the fruit roll-up. It promised up to three feet of fun and an almost certain future of diabetic obesity. Fuck Dunkaroos, Gushers, and Bubble Tape. Give me foot after foot of colorful fun. What is a fuck Dunkaroo? I've heard of that before. Is that some sort of new move? Yeah, it's down under. It's big in bodegas. <laughs> kind of like the dab, but you do it with your genitals. <laughs> Oh, man. That's huge. Three feet. Three, Three feet. feet. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw this, but Matt Stoney, the competitive eater, recently did a challenge on YouTube where he took fruit by the foot and he took like 300 of them and he rolled it all up into one big roll the size of a tire and he fucking ate it. And died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Went to a diabetic coma minutes later. Meanwhile, his dentist was stood next to him going, yes, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> One more foot. Yeah. He has a dentist on retainer. Yeah, right? Dentist's like, I make so much money. I don't need any other clients. Can you imagine what his bowels look like? <laughs> weirdly, I, weirdly, I've actually seen photographs. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the internet. Yeah. All right. So for mine, my hot product, January 1982, finally get to talk about something I actually love. I love this book. It's amazing. It's a great comic. It is called Kitty's Fairy Tale, written by Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum, also known as Uncanny X-Men number 153. It's generally considered an all-time classic and cited as one of the all-time fan favorite issues. As the X-Men team recover from their battle with the Hellfire Club and repair the mansion, Colossus and Kitty put Ileana, Colossus's little sister, to bed to help her go to sleep. Kitty tells her a story where the characters are modeled after the X-Men. Pirate Kitty and Colossus meet a wizard named Xavier and a cursed prince named Cyclops who are on a quest to save Cyclops' kingdom from a Xavier's apprentice, Princess Jean, who has been consumed by darkness and transformed into the Dark Phoenix. Years later, because it was so popular, they actually included the alternate reality in which the story, take, the story takes place into canon, calling it Earth 5311. The issue also has a few cool pop culture references in it. Uh, the peony fairies that Kitty talks about in the issue are named after ElfQuest creators, uh, Wendy and Richard Peony. And then, of course, Kitty Pride wears an ElfQuest shirt throughout the episode. Ileana has a Fozzie Bear stuffed animal. And it just really continues the really interesting tradition of including pop culture references inside some of these comic books. And the biggie from this episode was the birth of Lockheed, the uh, giant purple dragon that became famous and will be in the new X-Men movies that are coming out. Uh, later on, she will name an actual purple dragon that she meets Lockheed and becomes a X-Men staple fan favorite character for many years to come. So X-Men issue number 153, January 1982. All right. Uh, I'm going to keep mine short so uh, John can wake back up because you can see his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening intently about the large yeah. purple-headed uh, whatever it was. I knew exactly what he was on about. Lockheed. Lockheed. Lockheed, yeah. man. 
like Mark said, this uh, particular item I hold near and dear to my heart as it was technically it was the first computer system that I owned or my at least my family owned, uh, although we didn't have it until five years later when they upgraded the machine to the 128. Alas, let's get back to uh, the 1982 Computer Electronics Show. Uh, basically, a, a mere two months after Commodore's president, Jack Trammell, decided against using their newly designed chipsets in the failing arcade market, Jack asked his developers to put together a computer system that people could use at home and have it ready in time for CES in January, which was only six weeks away. The de developers successfully put together the C64, the Commodore C64, in less than two months and dazzled the crowds at CES with its $595 price tag, which is only around $1,300 today. So that's an amazing price for a computer back then. Uh, but Commodore had the best graphics card, best sound quality of that time. It literally it beat the pants off of the Apple, IBM, all the stuff that was out at that point. Uh, the C64 didn't stop being produced until 1994. So just imagine using your current laptop for 12 years. Yeah. Uh, and to this day, it has sold more units than any computer before or after, selling roughly 30 million units in its lifetime. The Commodore C64. Wow. And I had one of those units. I did, but mine was the I've 128. I've got a unit. <laughs> <laughs> well don't forget it also helped launch the career of lionel richie which is very important yeah it did what, what? <laughs> lionel richie and the commodore oh, oh i get it the commodores i get it. come on now i thought he was in a commercial for it i was like i did not see <laughs> so rick just to clarify this was the first appearance of the commodore 64 this, this is where they released it in uh Jan they released it at ces dropped the 595 price tag on it so it yeah. was kind of like they do with the apple they have like a big thing and then someone comes out with a a roll neck on and talks about the phone or whatever that that's that's kind of no this this it. was at ces which they still have now right it's like a convention yeah. or whatever it's like right. a convention right. It's, right 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 it's huge to this day if for like electronics geeks every new thing that comes out goes to ces first yep. and that's where they they broadcast their wares uh just like uh arcade one up just had a bunch of stuff that they just dropped on uh, CES, I got some new uh, arcade boxes coming out. Really nice arcade cabinets. What I, yeah. what I what I like is that you've you've picked a judge, a a a routine judge every single show now who knows so little about anything really um, that it it <laughs> <laughs> people must listen to the show and be like, how's this guy? What is this guy judging? This guy doesn't know anything about anything. That is he the quality and every the charm of dueling decades. Right. I, f I find that bullshit, though. John knows quite a bit. <laughs> Especially, like, music and movies, obviously, you know those, you got those down. But sometimes when we throw out news stories and you pull them out of your ass and you know what we're talking about, yeah, I'm a little shocked that you know that stuff. Yeah. Who else better to judge an American pop culture radio <laughs> right? show than yeah. a British judge? Yeah, so. than a than a British guy who's just like three feet of what? What's going on there? Uh, sounds delightful. <laughs> I would like uh, a foot of food in my mouth right now from Betty Crocker. Mm. A, f a foot of Betty <laughs> that, Crocker. That's a weird thing to say in 2019 because <laughs> yeah. Betty Crocker might have a foot of something to put in your mouth. Great. Let's make Better that happen right now. Let's ass. get uh, Betty Crocker's uh, foot uh, in my fruit. I don't foot know what long. That is. Yeah. <laughs> hey. 
You know, I'm a middle-aged man, and I'm, I'm okay with admitting it. There is nothing better than a three-way with Betty Crocker, Sara Lee, and Mrs. Paul. And a, and a true story, the, the little uh, Tupperware sandwich container, because I, too, am a middle-aged man, and I take my <laughs> packed lunch in to work, has Betty Crocker written along the top of it. It is a red plastic uh, Betty Crocker Except sandwich. Except he's, he's altered tub. it so it now says Betty Cocker. Yeah, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bo just keeps sending me hilarious uh, uh, Photoshop pictures (laughs) of Harry the Bigfoot uh, (laughs) as as Chris Hansen in To Catch a Predator. That's absolute genius. That is funny. You've got to put these on the website, guys, because these are. We'll have to get these up on the uh, Dueling Decades Facebook page. Uh... My wife just texted me from the other room. She can clearly clearly hear me shouting, saying that she went to driving school with six from Blossom. So that's another reason why (laughs) Blossom continues to live in both my heart and my head. Look at that. It's touched all our lives. Driving with Genovano, too, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Collusion. (laughs) Oh, uh, my my wife also almost got into a fight with uh, uh, Becky from Roseanne. So that's that's another. I believe it. Get in line. (laughs) Yeah, that's an exclusive fucking club right there. Yeah, right. (laughs) Personality plus one hundred and one. Well, I'm I'm really only telling you all this because I'm trying to avoid having to make a judgment on what is probably the hardest one of the night, um, just because it feels like all four things to individual people would be equally as important. Um, <clears throat> the one that obviously stands out as like massive beyond the other three uh, is the Commodore 64. That was obviously a pivotal moment in uh, home computers um, and uh, one that still resonates today. Um, uh, But beyond that, the other three are very, very valid pop culture uh, products. Um, You know, uh, who doesn't love G.I. Joe video games? You'd have to be a fool not to. And while you're playing those video games, be sure to be shoving some fruity foot-long snack into your gob um three feet three feet <laughs> three feet that's that reminds me of that uh i don't know if you ever like the kids in the hall sketch where the uh chicken lady and the bearded lady are at a strip show and the guys say the the, the chicken lady goes he fought a cow and the and the bearded lady goes two cows two cows <laughs> sorry i just always remember that Anyway, no, but that just reminds me because it's it's kids in the hall. It's funny. Anyway, it's going to 1982 because of the Commodore 64. But please, 1991 and Whole Foods do not feel any less important. Your two products were splendid. (laughs) For creating those products. (laughs) 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 All right, so we're left with movies. Who would have thought? It's three to two. I mean, at this point, score doesn't matter because whoever wins this round ultimately wins. Oh, it's exciting. The drama <laughs> building here on Dueling Decades. <laughs> and, and also, I have to say, 91, going with the rule that like the best of a decade is really from like 85 to 95 or 75 to 85, right? 91, it could squeak it. There's some possible movies that could come out in 91. I doubt it because 82 is like a classic year, but like 91, you never know. Yeah, it's you never early know. enough in the decade that it could, it could just, let's wait and see. I'm excited. Me too. All right, Rick Mancrush, going into the final round of movies, we have control of the board. Do you want to start this one off? Yeah, I'll start it off. Why not? Uh, January 21st, 1982. 
We got a movie out of Hong Kong. Hong Kong. We don't get that much often on, on here. Uh, but it's a Hong Kong movie that manages to get a 78% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes and catapults Shaolin movies into the Chinese mainstream. Matter of fact, this is the first Hong Kong Kung Fu movie to ever be shot in mainland China. Oh, and uh, I wonder if John Cross even knows what I'm talking about at this point, but it's a debut of a certain person. Do you know who the lead character in this movie might be? You may ha- you may have to give me just a couple more. Okay, hands. all right. So I'll I'll just I'll drop it on you right here. So it's martial arts legend Jet Li in his debut role. Uh, this cult classic that I'm speaking about is the Shaolin Temple. Uh, oh, okay. If you if you all right, know what I know what I was thinking of. Okay, Carry well on. if you dig martial arts movies, this is a badass movie, uh, and you got to figure this movie was released in '82. They started shooting this one in '79, so there aren't many effects. The fight scenes are as authentic as you would imagine. All right. Uh, Jet Li does not disappoint in this movie. Although he's young, he's badass. He's fast. Uh, When they started filming this movie, he was like 16 years old. But he's no less the martial artist that he is now. It's insane. Uh, And I'm no expert on Chinese culture, but this movie supposedly grossed 10 million. What is it? Yenminbi? Or they just call it RMB at the time. Uh, and just to put that in perspective, a ticket cost 0.1 RMB. All right. So his legend. So it's like 10, 10 million Beyonce albums. Is that what it is? Like <laughs> I, don't know, I, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know how their, their uh, currency works, but supposedly his legend has it over 50 million Chinese folks saw this during its theatrical run in China. So this was a massive movie for over there. And of yeah. course it has cult status over here. It's an amazing martial arts movie. The Shaolin Temple, starring Jet Li. And you can watch it for free. It's actually it's on YouTube if you want to look it up. All right. And we'll head over to my movie, and that's another movie you can watch for free. This one's on Amazon Prime, and it's a movie that it was previously banned in the UK as part of the infamous video nasty list during the 1980s. Uh, beginning in theaters January 1982, select theaters across the country began showing the cinematic cult classic Evil Speak, starring Clint Howard as the outcast cadet named Stanley Cooper Smith, who frequently uh, gets tormented by his mates and advisors of the military academy upon finding a book, of course, of black masses that belong to the medieval Father Esteban, he uses his 1982 computer to cast spells, conjure Satan, demon hell pigs, just to get revenge on all of his bullies. Clint Howard starring one of his first, if not his very first leading role. Uh, Richard Maul has a rare cameo in the movie. This, of course, coming a few years before Night Court. He actually plays Father Esteban in the beginning of the film. And if you're still not sold on the greatness of evil speak anton lavey himself the founder and high priest of the church of satan was said to be a great fan of this film and considered it to be well very satanic so that's 1982's evil speak <laughs> I, w- I wish anton lavey had just gone on to do movie reviews for the rest of his career <laughs> i don't like this one not satanic I give this one three Satans out of four. <laughs> of course, now, of course, the uh, the fucking vegans have taken Satan and made it something completely different and just ruined Satan for everybody. So. 
<laughs> it's pretty fucking hard to ruin Satan for people. Just saying, man. <laughs> well, if Satan was a vegan, that would be pretty bad. Can you imagine being in the afterlife where he tells you he's a vegan every five seconds? Oh, man. Right, exactly. And 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 it depends on your opinion of Satan. Like, a lot of people are like, yeah, Satan rocks. Satan, right? Because we all assume that hell is far more exciting than heaven, and we think hell is where all the rock and rollers go, and da 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 But if it's on your like moral compass if it's on your line of what you like and what you don't like heaven would be filled with all the great rock stuff and satan would be a, a vegan cyclist sitting around telling everyone how he's saving the fucking planet like an <laughs> asshole <laughs> hashtag vegan cat <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck all right what do you guys have for movies i'm curious now we got some great stuff oh some absolute bangers in the cinema we have <laughs> Which is, I believe, what Roger Ebert used to say. If you guys say cool as ice, uh, it's a couple over. of absolute bangers in the cinema this week. Well, that's actually what Anton LaVey said about that movie. It was, you know, very satanic and generally banging. Yeah. So, <laughs> two Satans. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I guess I'll go first. Uh, All right. This film, released on January 11th, 1991 made Jean-Claude Van Damme a street fighter long before he took up the role as Colonel Guile in 1994. Lionheart, the story of an ex-French soldier who becomes a street fighter to make money for his brother's family, kicked its way into theaters on a training budget of less than $3 million and went on to gross $24 million at the U.S. box office, but it's the memories and your little brother's minor concussion that makes this film a videotape <laughs> legend. Good pick. I got one that's not uh, not too far off from just cinematic greatness, and that is January 18th, 1991's White Fang, starring Ethan Hawke. Wow. Yes. Who also served as the film's narrator based on the uh, novel by Jack London, unfortunately not the one by John Grisham. Uh, tells the story of a young Klondike gold prospector and his adventures with his wolf dog, who was portrayed by Academy Award winner Jed as they searched to find gold in the 19th century. It also starred a grizzly bear. Uh, received fairly well by critics, currently sits at a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes, 14 million budget, 34 plus million in the U.S. gross, uh, became the fourth highest earning film in France, actually, in 91, released uh, in June 91 on VHS and a little something we like to call Laserdisc. A sequel, White Fang 2, Myth of the White Wolf, was released in 1994 and probably wasn't quite as good. White Fang, <laughs> January 18th, 1991. Right. Wow. I think I missed that one. I thought Bo was going to start going into Remember when I had uh, Air Bud some months ago? Yes. And I had to really sell all that in the sequels? I thought you were going that route. God, if they made about six or seven White Fang sequels, we'd really be cooking with gas. <laughs> this one would be in the bag. All right, John Cross. Uh, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because I had said that 1982 uh, was, is a great year for movies, and it is a great year for movies. But uh, it's a great year for um, uh, movies. But January itself, not a huge year. Uh, it's not, not a huge month, sorry, um, for, for movies. Uh, as you look down, normally this is where I would say, but hang on, guys, you could have said this, this, and this. But, <laughs> but really, not very little of any note whatsoever. Uh, January 1st, uh, Madman, the infamous slasher film, uh, came out. Um, which is the story of the killer of Madman Mars, 
Um, but it's really just sort of a, a Friday the 13th and kind of sleepaway camp kind of ripoff. Um, you've got the wonderful Roger Corman produced Battle Truck, uh, which is a, a great <laughs> post-World War Three futuristic tale of collapsed governments and bankrupt countries, as well as an enormous truck. I thought you were uh, going to say budget. Then... <laughs> it's like, no. Um, you've also got Jackie Chan's Dragon Strike or Dragon Lord. That was another... Um, martial arts movie that came out that year but really honestly like no nothing particularly funny and 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 nothing uh, uh particularly famous came out uh that period of time uh well the new york ripper as well apparently january 1st 1982 was the day to release uh slasher films because the new york ripper which if people are not aware of it is the lucio fulci movie in which the killer quacks like donald duck and I'm not joking. Yep, the whole time. Uh, <laughs> wow. um, so that and Madman came out on January 1st. So I would have loved that. I would have gone to the cinema on, on uh, uh, New feature. Year's Day and been like, great, I'll do a double feature of mad slasher films. Um, but as, so what was interesting about your your picks is, is, is first of all, um, Shaolin Temple, which, which does come out in 82, but it's not, um, if you look up like, january of 1982 on any of these lists or whatever it it's not it's not one that comes up it's one that you really have to dig for so uh i i applaud I applaud you for that likewise evil speak uh kind of a technicality uh was actually made at the end of the 70s uh got its main release in 1981 but it is right it did get its first u.s screening uh in uh january of 1982 so it does count uh, it had a limited uh, release in California before going nationwide uh, in February of 1982. Um, and uh, I'm a particular fan of this movie. I've actually uh, interviewed Clint Howard. I interviewed Clint Howard at Christmas time. One of my Christmas episodes was a full uh, hour and a half long episode with Clint Howard. Uh, and he is a fascinating and completely insane human being, <laughs> um, which you would expect because yeah. since the age of Two, he has been raised in Hollywood. He has literally never had the normal existence. Like most actors have, you know what I mean? Yeah, they, have they went a few to high jobs. school or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they went to high school. They bagged groceries. They maybe did a wait, waiting job, whatever it is. He never did any of that. He he literally like shot out the womb straight onto the set of uh, his brother's show. Yeah, I was um, just going to doesn't his, doesn't he have a brother in show business too? Yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> But, but right into his, his, show, his brother Ron Howard was on some show when he was like two years old and he got to play the Andy um, Griffith on show. That. The Andy, the Andy Griffith, Griffith show. show. That's <laughs> it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but Lionheart, White Fang, I have to say, 1991, uh, certainly in January, a much better month for movies. But very surprised, guys, that you did not come up with probably the biggest hit of that uh, um, uh, month. Uh, Sleeping with the Enemy, which is, uh, you know, uh, a very early Julia Roberts film. Um, Certainly one of the ones that kind of launched her to stardom. And one that that is sort of still talked about today. Like, it's one of those 90s thrillers that that has kind of stuck around a bit. So, um, but but nice mention of White Fang. Who doesn't like uh, Ethan Hawke in uh, The Snowy Wilderness with a dog? Um, (laughs) You could have gone for The Giver. Uh, FBI agent Max Reed witnesses Dr. Tetsu Segawa, a researcher for the mysterious Kronos Corporation, being murdered. Uh, and then 
Dr. Segawa had stolen an alien device known as the Giver from Kronos. It goes on much in that vein. Um, <laughs> yeah, I believe that's actually a live-action remake of an anime. Uh, it is. Yeah, yes, it is horrible. indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, oh, no, no. Totally, totally. Um, you've got Willie Nelson in Another Pair of Aces, Three of a Kind, comes out on January 1st, 1991. Um, you've got Bare Essentials, uh, which is exactly what you'd expect. A uh, couple leaves for vacation on a tropical island and finds happiness and love, just not with each other. Uh, uh, so it's not <laughs> just the name of a strip club in Atlantic City? No, it's not. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> class, although what an excellent strip club. An excellent strip club. Um, class of <laughs> Newcomb High Part 2, Subhumanoid Meltdown. Um, that's another classic from 1991. Um but yeah, really, January, uh, a disappointing month in both years, I have to say, yeah. overall. I'm going to end up giving it to uh, 1982 simply because of the Jet Li debut of Shaolin Temple and also uh, because of uh, uh, Clint Howard and Evil Speed. So I'm really just going to give it to 1982 because both movies were better. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, like, I thought it was going to go the other I way. I was like... I was like, he's building up to go to the 90s right here. No, listen, I am a huge... I didn't mention JCVD in Lionheart. I'm a huge Jean-Claude Van Damme fan, and Lionheart is is definitely a great movie. However, it's not one of the ones that is of his career that has had legs uh, in quite the same way that some of his oh, other films Oh, definitely not. It's not have. like Legionnaire or anything. Right. <laughs> or, like, <laughs> or like The Quest, my personal right. favorite. Yeah. Oh, where he plays a, a Belgian clown and Roger Moore plays a pirate and uh, they have to fight in yet another Kumite because there's just fucking tons of those flying around. Um, <laughs> with what Max was his handler's Ryan. name? Wasn't that the, the black dude that played his handler? Was this Jeffrey? He had like a weird name that didn't fit him at all. As as yeah, I see, remember. people always get blood sport and kickboxer confused. For me, it's always kickboxer and lionheart. I always get those two confused. Oh, how could you? I don't know. No, lionheart's in America. It is one of his um, uh, Sheldon Ledich films. Uh, Sheldon Ledich, uh, who did uh, quite a few of uh, the early Jean Claude Van Damme films. Uh, are you talking about Harrison Page, who plays the character Joshua? Joshua, yeah, that's, that's his name. the guy. Totally does not. He is not a Joshua. No, at all. That's the worst name they could have picked for that dude. Good actor though. Did a good job. But no, like, I mean, oh, look, solid, solid picks from Joshua. 1991. Solid picks. And honestly, if it had been down to, let's say, Shaolin Temple was just a martial arts movie that people kind of liked, and Evil Speak was a horror movie that people kind of liked, and it was up against White Fang and Lionheart, 91 might have won, but. Uh, uh, Shaolin Temple, Jet Li debut, uh, as you said, epic uh, uh, Chinese film, and uh, Evil Speak. It's kind of uh, you know it was banned in England. It was a video nasty for no reason at all. There's literally nothing in it um, that requires it to be banned. It's practically a kids' film at this point. Yeah, there's a couple <laughs> nude scenes in it that go on a little longer than they should, and there's yeah. <laughs> for the time there's some really great violent stuff when the hell pigs come out and they like devour one of his bullies i mean they're ripping out the guts and it's yeah and it was so much better than uh um what was it uh not red dragon hannibal uh with the pigs so much better oh, done. way better than that if you're, gonna, if you're gonna have hell pigs have it with clint howard every time yeah um and uh because clint howard's hair just in general is majestic he's a scary looking dude. Uh, and he is a scary looking dude 
And uh, yeah, it was one of those things where I was I was interviewing him and he was on the other end of the line and he was just going on and on and on. And I had like about 12, 15 questions for him and I think I got through two. And um, <laughs> we were actually meant to be going out for dinner uh, and my wife kept coming up to the, the door and being like, are, are you still on with Clint Howard? I'm like, I'm still on with Clint Howard. There's nothing. I was like, I was like muting my microphone going, he's still talking. There's nothing I can do. You should have hung up. You'd be like, dude, I got to go. Yeah, to I got to go. I'm just uh, enough about <laughs> enough about how you run Star Trek. Get over it. It's been 45 years. Um, no, he was uh, 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 he was at the time posting a lot of photos on his Facebook page because he had become a snow globist, uh, a collector and maker of snow globes, um, which culminated in the most horrific photo you've ever seen. And this is completely true. He put it on Facebook. Clint Howard spread eagle naked like Burt Reynolds from the the uh, famous uh, Playgirl shoot, but with a snow globe covering his private parts. Um, oh, and man, so anyone who was a fan of Clint Howard that year got a real <laughs> treat for Christmas. Wow. How big was the globe? It was, it was like one of those, like, about that big. <laughs> and it kind of just magnified everything. Really, yeah, it did. Know. Yeah, it was just you could just see pubes and no, it was just yeah, it was, just, it was like a jungle. Yeah, <laughs> big red. It was bush. an Amazon fucking snow globe. There's no snow in the Amazon. All right, Mark, wrap it <laughs> All up. All right. Well, in a complete shocker, I thought the '90s team was going to pull this one out, but they lose this one, and the Mama Luke's win again. So you guys got to change your name again next week. So, all right, fellow poopers, we're going to leave this one here. If you've missed any of our episodes, you can always go over on CastBox or on iTunes or on PoopCulture.com and check out all of our past episodes. Also on DuelingDecades.com. Follow along all the action on our Facebook page, Facebook.com forward slash DuelingDecades. So until next time, fellow poopers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Bye. Infirmary Media. 